Hey everyone, I'm Dan Sege. And I'm Rebecca Schwartz, both from Hyjo, Ottawa. And we'll be hosting the Think Energy podcast. So, are you looking to better understand the fast-changing world of energy? Every two weeks, Rebecca and I will be taking you on a tour and discuss some of the coolest trends, emerging technologies, and latest innovations within the energy sector. We'll be engaging in great conversations with game changers, thought leaders, and industry leaders who welcome the opportunity to share their expertise and views with you, our listeners. So stay tuned as we explore some traditional and some quirky facets of this industry. This is the Think Energy Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Think Energy Podcast. I'm Dan Segang. We're going to do things a bit differently today. Instead of our regularly scheduled program, I'd like to introduce my new co-host, Hydro Ottawa's very own social media guru and content and communications planning officer, Rebecca Schwartz. Hi, Dan. Hi, everyone. Rebecca, welcome to your first episode as a co-host of the Think Energy podcast. Maybe you can introduce yourself to our audience and what drew you to the energy sector. Thanks, Dan. I'm super excited to be joining the Think Energy podcast for my first podcast ever. As Dan said, I manage Hydro Ottawa's social media platforms, but what a nice change to be able to talk to you all in a little bit more of a personal way today. What drew me to the energy sector has to be the fact that everyone uses energy. It's meaningful to work in a sector that influences everyone in such a powerful way, pun intended. When the lights go out, I am reminded of just how connected we all are, sharing the same grid and enduring outages together. It makes me feel like I'm part of something big, especially when I can communicate important updates to customers during these times. In general though, with increasing environmental concerns and plenty of innovative technologies being developed, it's an exciting time for the energy sector. It keeps my job interesting and challenging. Rebecca and I are going to co-host episodes going forward. Think of dynamic duos like Laurel and Hardy, Fred and Ginger, Mulder and Scully. Um, I don't know any of those people. <laughs> okay. How about uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce, Mary-Kate and Ashley, Barack and Michelle? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. I promise to brush up on my dynamic duo history. The title of this week's episode is The Eye of the Storm. Rebecca, I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like every season is storm season nowadays. In Ottawa, we've had more than our fair share of winter ice storms, spring floods, and in the fall of 2018, tornadoes. Well, warm weather and summer sunshine tend to give us a false sense of security from power outages. But the truth is, summer storms are a consistent threat thanks to extreme heat and humidity, particularly when that combination manifests into dangerous heat waves, lightning, strong winds, hail, and thunderstorms. Mother Nature doesn't seem to differentiate anymore between when storm season begins and ends anymore. It's like she's thrown up her hands, justifiably annoyed with us about climate change, which means utilities must always be prepared for any extreme weather event, no matter the time of year. Storm season is truly any season. And during a global pandemic, as we've become more dependent on an uninterrupted supply of electricity so we can work and learn from home, the consequences of storm-related power outages has been heightened. So 
here's today's big question. How are utilities facing the eye of the storm? What's involved during these critical times to keep the system and people protected from outages? To answer these questions today, I have Director of System Operations and Grid Automation, who leads all restoration efforts for the capital's utility, Hydro Ottawa's Joseph Muglia. Hey, welcome, Joseph. Uh, it's great to speak to you again. I think a lot of people want to know what it takes to keep the lights on uh, for a city like Ottawa. Given your role, I'm assuming you've been in the office and in the field throughout the pandemic. Can you tell us a bit about what the Director of Systems Operations and Grid Automation does? Thanks for having me, Dan. So first of all, um, my role is really comprised of three different groups within the, within the company uh, with, I would say, four areas of responsibility. So starting off, like I, in my team, I've got the substation group, which takes power from our provincial supplier and basically helps to distribute that power across the city through the wires and things. But, but the substations are the main points where the power is coming from into our different communities. Uh, the second very important group um, within my team is system operations and system office. So system office really is uh, I would say the control group. So they're taking the power that comes from the substations and, and distributing it properly across the city through the lines. So basically they have the control of like limiting power. They can shut power off in certain areas if we have to work on wires. They're doing that control of the flow of electrons throughout the system. So in an emergency, they can do isolation so that our crews can work safely. If there's any sort of power outage that's required, like a, a planned powder, power outage, they can do that so that we can work safely and upgrade our equipment. So that's really the role of system office. S system office and system operations, uh, they're also part of system operations is also our 24 seven and emergency response, as well as our field ops. So they're really monitoring the system on a 24 hour, seven day a week basis. So if there's any issues that go on at nighttime while people are sleeping, if there's a storm that hits during the day or at night or on the weekends, it's our 24-7 and our field operators that are responding to those calls, initially especially. Now, if the call gets more involved, we, we usually bring in additional forces, but it's really the 24-7 folks that are out responding. And finally, the third part of, of my team is the metering group. So really, they're, they're the folks that are distributing the power to our individual customers. Every single customer in, the, in our service territory uh, is involved with the metering group. So whether it's commercial, industrial, institutional, doesn't matter, our metering group are the ones that, uh, that interface with our customers. So Joseph, let's talk about the pandemic that shall not be named, shall we? Sorry, huge Harry Potter fan here. So what kinds of things have you and your team been doing to keep power flowing through homes and businesses during the pandemic? Was there more stress knowing just how much more people relied on it to stay connected? So that's a good question. So, uh, you know, typically pre-pandemic, um, we know where work centers are, we know where the offices are uh, throughout the city. 
And, and so we can sort of focus our efforts to make sure that those areas that are, you know, largely populated with folks that are working, uh, that power is not interrupted as much as possible. The problem with the pandemic was that the entire city became work centers. So all of the homes became work centers in addition to a lot of the work centers that already existed. So now what happened was uh, we, the emphasis went to keeping everybody connected as much as possible all the time, because now you're not just affecting the offices of Hydro Ottawa, but you're affecting the offices of Hydro Ottawa throughout the entire city where everybody is basically living. And that's true for all the businesses. So, so this caused us to put more emphasis on our infrastructure, make sure that our infrastructure is, is kept up, uh, you know, maintenance wise to make sure that we're limiting our outages, for instance, to, I think we limited them to two hours maximum. And that creates like a cost and a logistics uh, issue for sure for us, right? Because we're not taking advantage of a full day anymore or like in a residential area where we would be doing upgrades, for instance, where we could take the power out through system office, as I mentioned earlier, we can't take that power out for six or eight hours now. It's, it, it was you know truncated down to just a couple of hours. So that becomes very difficult to, to make sure that our crews are, are working as efficiently as they can, um, but it was, it was very limiting for us from a, from a construction perspective. Okay. So, so, so yeah, definitely more pressure again on, on the focus of our assets and the focus of our, our construction crews and making sure that they are staying busy and doing as, as effective work as possible throughout the day. It seems like storm season is every season now. What kind of emergency preparedness planning or training goes on in order to be crisis ready for any storm. At Hydro Ottawa, we uh, we regularly uh, keep our folks up to date with all of the training required on a day to day basis for their jobs. In addition, um, storm preparation involves uh, more like training on training on. Um, I guess, tabletop exercises and mocking different disasters that could potentially happen. So we've introduced that into our training as well, which we're putting a lot more of our folks through that training now, um, because some things that were that have been identified to us was that we've got this core group of people that are well trained in that, but we need to expand that team so that we've got additional resources in, you know, that can that can respond to different emergencies. So um, we're working on uh, a training schedule now that, that will encompass the entire year that will at regular intervals um, train different folks across the organization to be able to respond to these types of things. Um, in addition to that, also at the contractor and the supplier level, we have to maintain good relationships with them and relationships that we wouldn't normally have in the past or we may not have had in the past. So we've got better, um, I think, better relationships, working relationships with folks that can deliver us materials or provide assistance, whether it's mutual aid assistance or contracted forces that can come in and help us 
in the event that we need the help, like if we've been hit with a big emergency or a big uh, incident across the city where we've got more work to do than our crews can handle, for instance. Working for Hydro Ottawa's social media team, I know just how important communication is. From sharing our storm readiness to providing information when an outage happens, its cause, status, and restoration times. So Joseph, what goes into establishing accurate restoration times? Is it based on historical data? So restoration times are a very difficult thing, and I don't care what uh, utility you're involved with, but restoration time is is really one of those things that continues to be a challenge year after year. Um, initially, when we see an issue on a feeder or a conductor somewhere, uh, the initial restoration time is generated through historical data that we would have. Um, and that data is based on uh, what we think the issue might be. Uh, and again, it's from our system office folks that will see, you know, a particular type of issue that they're seeing on the system and the historical data will give an approximate um, time of restoration. Now, nothing beats a field visit, right? So, so that initial restoration time will be generated automatically. And then in the meantime, we've got crews that are dispatched and are on the way to whatever the issue is in the field. Once they get there, they're, bit, they're able to better assess what's involved. So when they get there, it might be completely different than what uh, you know, our historical data was telling us or what system office was seeing in the field. And, and so the field crews are then able to better um, approximate what the restoration time will be. And then as, as the restoration is proceeding, um, there could be other factors that, are, that, that come into it and affect restoration time again, which is sometimes why you see a restoration time getting shorter or longer because it, you know, there might be other equipment in the field that we, we didn't initially know was going to be included and, and ends up being included in the restoration as well. So it's a very tricky art, I would say, not much of a science, it's more of an art. Joseph, you've done some videos for us, and most recently, you did one about our outage map. How is the map valuable, and what other service offerings might be coming down uh, the wire? Yeah, so first of all, the restoration map, uh, sorry, the outage map is, uh, is definitely uh, an excellent tool. I think it keeps our our customers and our communities up to speed on what's going on when there is a restoration, when there is a, an outage. And so it's, it's an extremely valuable tool for people to use to, to make sure that, you know, they're, they're being kept up to date with what's happening with a particular outage going on in their area. Um, in addition, now you mentioned the battery programs. So this is something new that we started just in the past year where if there's an extended planned outage that we're, uh, we're looking at for a certain neighborhood, um, we're able to actually lend out some chargeable batteries. Uh, it's, it's sort of a unit that has a number of different plugs that are involved in receptacles and things where people can, for a period of time, have some power available to them uh, you know, while their power is out and while we're working on the equipment uh, that supplies their home. So, I think it's a great opportunity for folks to take advantage of that. Um, we're still working some of the details behind it, but it's been, it's been a great success so far. 
we've had nothing but fantastic feedback on that program. So, so basically, if we know there's an outage in your area, we will offer you a battery uh, and people can keep their electronics and certain other things uh, charged while their power is out. So I think that's, uh, that's very innovative and very forward thinking. Um, SMS, so we've got, uh, we've got text to your phone right now during a planned outage, we can let you know uh, through text messaging that there will be a, a, a planned power, power outage, you know, in your, in your neighborhood. Uh, so that's also been working well. And we're also working toward, although we're not there yet, but um, more text messaging and notifications in the event of an unplanned outage as well. So I think that's probably something that people are dying to have. And I, I know there's a lot of work in the background believe it or not, to get it there. Uh, but we are working on that. That's on our roadmap. And we're looking at uh, having that available to our customers soon. So stay tuned for that. When an outage happens, um, can you tell us how and why people should report it? And what happens after they do? So reporting an outage is extremely important, um, not just for the individual to let us know that that we know there's a power outage. So like sometimes um, the power, if someone experiences a power outage, it could be their own equipment. It could be a broader issue, um, you know, on their street, or it could be their, their whole subdivision, for instance, or the area. So it's important to let us know as soon as possible. Uh, I would say 80 or 90% of the time we know when people are calling in that there's a power outage. But again, if it's a localized thing and it's just their particular address or just their street, it, it may take us a bit more time uh, before we're aware of that. So any call that comes in, we begin to build like a grid to, so that we know like, okay, we've got a call here, we've got a call in that area, and it starts to build a bigger picture and it helps us to determine what's going on. Right, so very important that people are calling in. Uh, it's important, again, for the customer, it's important for their neighbors as well, right? And it's important for us because it helps us get on the, the situation as quickly as possible. People can call through um, the website, hydroottawa.com. They can go through Facebook. They can call our outage hotline at 613-738-0188. Uh, certainly any of those avenues, uh, the information will get to us and we can start processing and figuring out what the issue is so that we can look to restoration. I'm going to knock on wood right now, but say a major summer storm hits the city causing mass blackouts. How do you decide who gets restored first and why? So from an institutional perspective, like it's great to get the hospitals on, the big government offices on as quickly as possible. Um, after that, and, and I mean, the hospitals generally have uh, generator backups. So that's been less of a concern than perhaps in, in the past. And I know there are some big grocery chains also that have battery, uh, have uh, generation, a uh, backup generation. So that's awesome as well. Um, but really what we look at is trying to determine, you know, where we can get the biggest bang for our buck. So what, what can we do from a system office perspective in conjunction with what's going on in the field to bring up as, as many customers as possible, as long as it's being done safely, 
right? So, so we'll look to, um, to see across the board what makes the most sense to get as many customers as possible up. Then from there, uh, once we get the bigger pockets resolved and they're back up, then we start like working our way to the smaller and smaller areas. Uh, there are times when we have to actually increase the size of an outage in order to resolve it. Um, that happens once in a while as well. And sometimes people will experience their power come back and then they'll lose power for a period of time again because we've had to isolate different areas in order to do a fix so that we can bring up the entire area. So that's, you know, that's often what happens. Um, and I know people probably don't understand that, um, but I think it's an, important, um, it's an important point to bring up because sometimes you may experience another shorter outage uh, after your power has been restored. And that's because we've had to do that in order to bring up the, you know, the, the bigger section that might've been out. So Joseph, tell us what's been the biggest crisis or emergency that you've experienced in your role? And what did you learn from it? There's really been two in my career, I think. Well, there's been more than that, but two that stick out in my head. And that is uh, prior to having this role, I was in Alberta. And in 2013, we had flooding in Alberta that, was, that blew my mind um, to the point where uh, the South Saskatchewan River was uh, flowing through the city I was living in. And the, the water level was about a foot or two away from the banks of the bridge that would have basically separate the city in two halves for a number of months. So that was, that blew my mind. The second one was in 2018, the tornadoes here in Ottawa, which was, I, I know like we talk about it probably less now, but that's still, you know, very, very much burned in my, in my mind, uh, what we went through, through those tornadoes. I, you know, in, I may sound a bit cliche here, but I think the teamwork perspective is probably the, the thing that I learned the most out of both of those issues. Uh, and not just teamwork for the folks on the ground that were actually doing the work that needed to be done, the restoration. And I, I think, you know, largely about the restoration that went on here in the city during the tornadoes, but really like from, from the perspective of um, our crisis communication team, our communication, you know, the, basically the team that you folks are, are involved with, that was hugely important to get the, the messaging out properly and clearly and efficiently. Um, all of the management staff that went into the coordination and the logistics of, of getting materials to us, of keeping um, you know, the, the crews busy, the fleet perspective of that restoration, just keeping the vehicles running, all while we had like power outages going on all over the place. We also had uh, dips in our communication, like our, we started to lose cell phones, I remember early on in the tornadoes as well. So for our IT department, that posed challenges for them, but we were able to through crisis, I think, come together quickly and, and really focus on what needed to be focused on and leave sort of, you know, the, the external stuff out of it. 
I think the, the most important thing is preparation ahead of time for something like that to hit again. And that's why I, I talked earlier about um, tabletop exercises and, and mock disasters and going through like what the logistics look like, because it's true, like as soon as you have a plan, the, the first casualty is the plan, right? So if you don't know it intuitively, um, you're going to forget what the plan is. And then people scramble, right? They just naturally scramble. So the more, and I know we were doing it in Alberta too, is like the more of that training you can do upfront to get people thinking about it and what's involved, uh, the cleaner the restoration becomes. So that's probably been my biggest takeaway. I've been learning that it takes a village to tackle major storms. Can you talk about the human side of your work? Who are the people and what are their roles in a crisis? There's so, so many people. Like if I, if I think about the front lines, it's, it's our 24-7 folks. It's our field operators that are the first response. Uh, moving, moving away from that, then we've got our on-call folks. So there are our daily crews that go through a rotational process where if we're met with an incident during the night or on a weekend or something, there are crews that we have standing by so that they can assist uh, with 24-7 and a bigger restoration. Um, they are, there are our biggest frontline defense, I think, between, you know, acts of nature and, and keeping our folks connected, right? So, um, but, and, and those folks are extremely important and, you know, God bless them because they are there for us when we need them. And it doesn't matter the weather, it doesn't matter, you know, what, what's going on out there, they're, they're there and they do it. Um, but I think we also need to mention the folks that are in the office and are, and are like directing stuff from the office, right? So there's our, our field supervisors and, and like our folks that are involved again with fleet, with procurement, with so many different things, with finance, uh, even our engineering and our, our tech folks, um, our GIS folks, like all of them so incredibly important when we're faced with an issue because we need just about all of the, um, you know, the, the expertise in all of those different groups to help us sort out how, how we restore. Particularly if we've got infrastructure that's on the ground, we need our design folks, we need our engineering folks and our standards folks to help us like figure out how we can best restore this in the quickest amount of time safely so that our folks can experience, you know, what they experience every day. And that's almost completely uninterrupted power. Right. So the entire team, I, I can't really chunk it down any more than that. And I can't say that any group is probably more important than the other, because it, like you said, it takes a village, right. And it really does during, during an incident. What new developments or innovations are exciting you about your job or the industry in general right now? Early on, I mentioned my group. It's comprised of three different areas, the stations, the system operations, and metering. Um, but I did mention early on, and I didn't get into it, the fourth piece of, um, the fourth piece of my 
existence really is the automation. And so we're, we're going through a really exciting time as far as I'm concerned uh, in the electric industry where we're, we're looking at more automation in our system, building automation into the system so that we can restore power a lot, a lot faster. We can restore power remotely rather than a, you know, a crew being dispatched and going to the field. So a lot more automation within our system operations groups. Uh, group so that um, more switches and more devices can be controlled within the system office rather than in the field. Um, with automation, we can also reroute power automatically. So the system can sense a, a conductor or a, a piece of like a piece of a feeder that's out and it can reroute power in a different area so that that restoration can happen instead of hours, it can happen in seconds. Now we're quite a ways away from that, but that's some of the stuff that we're, we're moving toward. Uh, more devices in the field that will give us data that, that we'll be able to use that data to make better uh, investment choices, for instance, or, or better decisions for our customers, or having that data so that we can give that data to our customers and they can make the decisions that they wanna make, right? Um, with a more automated grid, we can also introduce a lot more uh, DERs or distributed electric resources. So more solar, more wind, um, different ways of introducing electricity into the grid so that it, it helps us. It helps us with reliability, with, with just you know, volume of electricity in the future that's gonna be required, right? For EVs, like the introduction of EVs and the sustainment of more EVs in our system. An automated grid will help us do all of that and more, right? Including battery storage and things like that. So it really brings us to the next level. And the problem is that traditionally an electric utility has been a bit more conservative. Like we, we don't necessarily introduce a lot of technology early on because we're needed as a very reliable source of, of energy, right? And so we can't play around with too much technology until it's proven out. But we're getting to a point now where uh, we see you know, so much on the horizon that's available uh, that the electric grid can, can offer our customers and even other, other LDCs, other electric distributors, you know, there's so much that we can be doing with what we've got already and with the introduction of a little bit more technology in the field. So I think that's by far in this industry, probably the most exciting. Okay, now, how about we close off with some rapid fire questions? Okay. Joseph, what is your favorite word? My favorite word, I'd probably say passion. What is the one thing you can't live without? Uh, probably my espresso machine. Okay. What is something that challenges you? Probably the ongoing fight for my focus, right? So with like an ever-changing world, there, there is like so much coming at us. And it seems like there's so many distractions to what you want to focus on. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest challenge for me is trying to stay focused on certain things when you're being bombarded. 
Here's a good one. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I would say if I could look into the future by about 15 minutes or so, that would be the power I'd want. That would be awesome. Okay. You've got word of a massive thunderstorm approaching Ottawa in the next few minutes. What's the first thing you do? So the first call would be to our field supervisors to hold crews back, to make sure that people are not leaving too early at the end of the day and out of the parking lot too quickly because we're probably going to need them. Uh, I would say that's probably my first phone call, my first thing that I'm going to do. And lastly, what do you currently find most interesting in your sector? Most interesting in my sector? I would say the human element of it all is probably the most the most challenging and the most rewarding. And I saw that a lot, uh, particularly through the, the pandemic and all of the changes that the pandemic brought. Um, my team was, uh, was largely, you know, they continued to work. Uh, they weren't put on any, any sort of rotation or anything. And, and so some of the challenges that that uh, created was, I think it was, it was very interesting. The, again, the human element of work is, is, I think, the most rewarding and the most challenging. Well, Joseph, we've reached the end of another episode of the Think Energy podcast. Again, thank you for joining us today. And Rebecca, I hope you had a lot of fun. I did. Thanks for having me. Rebecca and I will be co-hosting going forward in 2021. Thanks for joining us. And Rebecca, do you really not know who Mulder and Scully are? Um, are they superheroes? Oh, God. See you, folks. Thank you.